Every once in a while, we get the opportunity to hear from uh, from a guy who's been with us for quite some time. Mr. Mike McDuffie has uh, been part of Parkview for a long time, has uh, served faithfully, and has taught here a number of times. And so would you guys help me welcome Dr. Mike McDuffie. I use a stand. I never know how high it should be. Uh, the eyes seem to change with the, with the hour. So if I, if I move it up and down, just forgive me. I'm focusing. Um, the uh, theme that I want to share with you this morning is uh, to take heart. Uh, because Jesus has prayed for you. And uh, the passage of scripture that I'll work through uh, for us to be refreshed by that is John 17. And uh, before we get to that passage, uh, let me share with you a few introductory remarks in terms of where we are, in terms of what day it is. It's, uh, it's the last Sunday in December. About 40 years before our Lord's birth... Julius Caesar established the Julian calendar, and that established the basis of the 12-month year, uh, beginning with the month of January that we use until this, until this day. January's on the doorstep. Now, he named uh, the first month after the Roman god Janus to whom he dedicated the calendar to make it sacred. According to Roman civil religion, Janus was the god who guards doors, door entries, and gates. He was the patron of beginnings and endings. He is shown as having two faces, one in front and the other at the back of his head. Now, we could spend this morning uh, abiding uh, 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 customs that conform to those uh, who paid tribute to Janus, looking back, reflecting upon last year, uh, reviewing the various events that happened last year. And then we could look forward and we could talk about needed change and we could make up our lists of New Year resolutions. But I'm going to suggest we just set those things aside this morning. Instead, let's put Janus in his rightful place by bringing to mind throughout the month of January what we learn about Jesus from the Bible. January might be named after Janus, but we believe in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it made full. The psalmist sang, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. In the last book of the Bible, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He said, I am the root and the offspring of David, 
the bright morning star. So, what I'm going to ask you to think about, if you can find a place to set it uh, in your mind, is that uh, whatever door, beginning with the doors to leave Parkview, doors get in your car, whatever door we open or shut throughout the year of 2013, we can practice until then. Whether it's a garage door or a closet door or a cupboard door, a car door, refrigerator door, the doors to our homes, the places of shelter and places of work. When we push through or open up that door, might it prompt us to remember that Jesus is the only way of entry into eternal life. Jesus said, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Let's remember, too, he uh, is the true Lord of uh, all gates and doors and beginnings and ends. Jesus tells us, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and to the grave. So we can set aside the secular calendar. Let's turn a minute to the church calendar. In turning our attention to the church calendar, we find ourselves between Advent that just passed and the season of Epiphany that's coming up on us. Now, Epiphany means to show forth or to make known. The season begins the day before January 6th. And that's the day marked to commemorate when the wise men came to Bethlehem to visit the baby Jesus. The season of Epiphany, Epiphany, excuse me, is a season of worship. It is a time to reflect upon the birth of our Savior and to ask ourselves, what do I think about this Jesus who saves his people from their sins? This is the time of year when we are invited to follow in the footsteps of the wise men. They sought out the king of the Jews so they could honor him and give him gifts. They realized he was worthy of worship. We realize this too. Thus we celebrate his birth and worship him, Christ the Lord. The season of Epiphany lasts until Ash Wednesday. Uh, that'll come up in uh, February 13. Uh, that's a 02132013 date. That might make someone nervous. Uh, it ought not, but it may. Uh, and uh, the, what Ash Wednesday unleashes uh, is uh, the time that's called Lent, a time of preparation for Easter. Now, uh, the uh, traditional color for the season of Epiphany is green. This symbolizes the growth of the church through the spread of the gospel. So this Sunday falls between Advent, the coming of our Lord and his birth and his celebration, the incarnation, and Epiphany, when the wise men arrive with their gifts to celebrate his birth and to worship him. In between is a time of journey. Now, as you can see, I'm not wearing green uh, because it hasn't started yet. 
We're in between. I'm wearing blue. That's to remind us. So what can we do in between? Well, it's a time to reflect while on a journey. As a matter of fact, it's a good time to recall that in Christ, we are on a journey. We are strangers in this world. We're passing through and we're going home. On the way, God calls us to preach the gospel and to grow in godliness. He wants us to experience his presence, the majesty of his power, the fullness of life, the very glory of God. He wants us to reflect through our transformed lives, his holiness, his joy, his truth, his love, his righteousness. He wants us to be men and women who display in our character and relations with one another the very moral beauty of God. Now, of course, no one is adequate. No one can do this. It's the Spirit of God who does this in us. And he works in us alone through our faith in Jesus. Do we now believe? Do we now believe this? When we turn to uh, uh, John uh, chapter uh, 16, the end of uh, John 16, uh, this is a question our Lord asks the disciples. Uh, Verse 31, uh, Jesus uh, said, uh, now do you believe? And then he goes on to say, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered. Each to your own home. You will leave me alone, he says, but I am not alone. For my father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. We need to remember. We too would have been scattered like the disciples. We too would have run off. We would have gone our own way with no regard for one another. And no regard for him. We would have sought out that place where we felt most safe and most in control. We would have left Jesus all alone. As followers of Jesus, our journey in this world begins with his faith in the father. He said, yet I am not alone. The father is with me. Jesus didn't leave us to die in our sins. He he didn't run to the safety of his home. He brought glory to his father by completing the work the father gave him to do. He took up the way of the cross, confident in his confession. I am not alone, for my father is with me. Jesus tells us that in the world we have trouble, affliction, distress, worries, burdens. We suffer pain, want, sickness, Violence and persecution right now. Over 200 million men, women and children are being persecuted because they confess the name of Jesus as their Lord. Nonetheless, Jesus is still saying today to his people, take heart. Have courage. Don't quit. He assures us. That we have peace and victory in him. Now conveying this assurance to his followers. Encouraged Jesus to pray. uh, Take heart. And turning our attention to John 17. What I want you to take hold of this day. In this time of in between. 
between Advent and Epiphany is to take heart. Jesus has prayed for you. When we look at John 17, uh, we see that Jesus offered up to his father uh, in our behalf uh, a, a, a prayer that uh, uh, includes seven requests. Jesus asks the father to grant him seven things. First and foremost, and the one that encloses all the others, Jesus looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given him. Now this is eternal life, he said, that they may know you, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in the presence, in your presence, with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now, uh, I would urge you on your own, maybe perhaps the week, uh, through the week, to, to read John 17 a couple of times through. It's such a beautiful prayer. But uh, is you, uh, these uh, first five verses, they, they uh, reveal uh, the desire of Jesus. And to remind us of that, I brought out this, this necklace. Uh, this is a, 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 a proof that my wife isn't at home right now. Uh, uh, I would, I would, uh, there would have been another visual aid uh, if, if Anne was here. Uh, but she's very endearing and no one's going to tell her. Um, but you see, that's what I, I want you to see this. You see, Jesus came down and he completed the work that the father had given him. But he goes back up. And when, and when he goes uh, to heaven, he's asking, I want to be glorified in your presence with, with the very glory that I had before the world began. But you see, he doesn't go back alone. He goes back with us. We are the precious treasure of God. This is how God wants to be glorified. It's through your lives. Oh, take heart. Jesus has prayed for you. Jesus knew of God's inherent majesty, his loving character, his goodness, his intimate and unapproachable presence, his moral beauty, his holiness, his glory. He knew that by completing the work of the cross here on earth, he brought glory to the Father. He faithfully entrusts himself to the Father for his resurrection and for his return to heaven to be exalted at the right hand of God after having died uh, on the cross for our sins. The fourth century uh, church father, uh, Athanasius, wonderful defender of the orthodox teaching of the Trinity, said uh, Jesus returned to heaven after the resurrection in order to prepare the angels up there so they wouldn't be surprised when we showed up. Now, uh, we might not put it that way, but it gives voice to our Lord's opinion of God's glory. 
Jesus did not go back to heaven just to get there and be safe and have the Father all to himself. He has told us that he has gone to prepare a place for us. He said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This is why the scriptures say when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Jesus knew the hope to which our glorious father has called us. This hope is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He and the father are in agreement over this. Jesus calls us to set our hope not on selfish gain, but on his goodness which is the praise of his glory. This is not to deny that, the, that God in his great mercy has given us a new birth into an, into an inheritance uh, kept in heaven for us that can neither perish, spoil, or fade. But this is a condition of a far more beautiful truth. We are his saints. We are his treasure. We are, uh, he makes uh, the riches of his glory known through us, vessels of his mercy, which he prepared in advance for glory. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus onto good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. In this in-between moment, this Sunday between Advent and Epiphany, it is good to reflect on this. Yet how often do we give thought to God's glory and to our being his treasure, his holy people, his saints? Public opinion posters work around the clock to figure out how we feel or to discover what we want or to determine what we think about everything. I cannot even buy a cup of coffee without being asked to take a survey. This literally happened to me yesterday. I, I thought I was getting my receipt, uh, and, I, I, and I, didn't, I didn't realize that I was actually being asked to take a survey. I didn't want to take a survey. I wanted to have a cup of coffee. Our opinions must be very valuable. But when was the last time anyone made inquiry about how we felt about God's glory? Now, we need to take care about this, give this thought. Our opinion of ourselves and the opinions that interest us give us our first inkling of our opinion about God. We are his, and he would have us be holy to his glory. Does this interest me? Am I drawn to this? Am I inwardly summoned to this high calling like an artist feels compelled to sculpt or to compose or to paint or to dance? God will judge us over our opinion we hold of him and how we judge his character, his actions, and what he says. You, like me, will be judged by God for who we think God is and what we think of the things he has done and said. We live in a moment in which, for many, it is normal to think that God is not necessary. That is, holiness, moral beauty, goodness, and majesty are not important and are unworthy of notice, never mind praise. Do we choose to see God on such terms, or do we see ourselves on his terms? 
What is the opinion we covet others to have of us? That it was our goal in life to be honored and praised by them or to be men and women who live to honor and give praise to God? When we look in the mirror, who do we see? Do we see our own reflection the way the world would have us see ourselves on our own terms and all alone? Or do we remind ourselves to see ourselves with the eyes of faith in Christ, believing God is with us, rejoicing over the wonderful truth that he wants to display his godliness in our lives and so bring glory to himself through us? Ah, take heart. Jesus has prayed for you. God is present in his people and those who believe in his son. God wants to live out his love in our lives and so to glorify himself in us. The Holy Spirit desires to glorify our Lord. The Spirit wants to bear the fruit of the Lord's character in our lives, making us men and women whose lives are marked by love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, And self-control. Jesus said. Whoever lives by the truth. Comes into the light. So that it may be seen plainly. That what he has done. Has been done through God. This is what Jesus means. When he prays to the father. Glory has come to me through them. We believe he came from the father. And was sent by the father. We accept his teachings. Because we believe he speaks words of eternal life. And we take him at his word, trusting him for the gift of eternal life. Believing in him, we believe we can bear much fruit to the father's glory, showing ourselves to be his disciples by our love for one another and by our kindness in serving others. Now, to give us strength to live this life in the world that brings glory to God, Jesus prayed, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. So that we may be one even as the Father and Son are one. The name of God is God's power. Take heart. Jesus has prayed for you. The Son revealed the Father. The Son made known the Father's name. He has made the Father known to us and will continue to make the Father known to us. The Son made manifest, made clear. And caused to be seen openly the Father's name. He kept the disciples in the Father's name. He asked the Father to keep us in the Father's name. We have all kinds of names. We have first names. Middle names. Last names. We give one another nicknames. Pet names. We talk trash and call one another stupid names. We can give a town or a school or a workplace or a church a bad name. We can be for something, but a name only. And of course, we can make a name for ourselves. The word name occurs more than a thousand times in the Bible. God takes his name very seriously. He commands us not to misuse his name and warns us the Lord will not let us go unpunished if we misuse his name. His name is his title and his dignity. It is his rank and his majesty. God's name means his character, his reputation, his authority, his power. His name is up close and personal. It is covenantal and relational. No one 
can own God's name. We cannot control God's name. Because no one can destroy God or be victorious over God, his name will never be cut off or blotted out. Jesus asks the Father to watch over us in his own name. He asks the Father to take care of us in his own name. He asks the Father to keep an eye on us in his own name. He asks the Father to observe us attentively in his own name. He asks the Father in his own name to be our keeper, our protector. Take heart. Jesus has prayed for you. The Father keeps you in his own name. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take heart. Jesus has prayed for you. And the one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. Notice in this part of his prayer, Jesus addresses his father as Holy Father. God alone is absolutely holy in total perfection and complete purity. This is true of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. While in the world, Jesus loved this holiness, and because of this, God anointed him with the oil of joy. Jesus wants the full measure of his joy for holiness to be with us. He wants it in us. We too easily focus our attention on how we fail at being obedient. We allow our disappointments to define who we are. We cut ourselves off from enjoying fellowship with the Father and with one another. We need to remember who we are. We are saints. We are God's holy people. May God give us a hunger for holiness. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. May he fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit and be eager to do what is good. Jesus did not pray that we be taken out of the world, but that God protect us from the evil one. He is the active worker of evil, the active rebel against God. When we rebel against God, his word and his son, we put ourselves in line with this rebel who blinds the minds of unbelievers and seeks to devour us, swallow us up, and drown us in evil. The natural disposition of our heart is to fall prey to misplaced evil desires. Nonetheless, the beauty of God's goodness is but distorted in us. It is not destroyed. We are fallen, but not beyond repair. We are helpless but not without hope. Don't misunderstand. There is nothing that we can do to be saved, but that's enough. You see, for as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even those who believed in his name. Jesus prays to his holy father, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. Now, truth here does not mean a true statement like two plus two equals four. Truth here is the perfect expression of God's loving kindness, his faithfulness, his enduring integrity. God's truth is made incarnate in the person of our Lord Jesus. The scriptures testify about him. 
If we want to resist the evil one and live our lives devoted to God, then we study the scriptures to know this holy father, this only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. We trust the father to answer the son's prayer through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Oh, take heart. Jesus has prayed for you. The word washes away our ignorance, our illusions, our deceptions, and our false excuses. It exposes our bad habits and brings our motives, our character, and our behavior in line with the things that honor God and his gospel. The word of truth equips us for the mission Jesus has assigned us. Jesus prayed to the Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus set apart, he set himself apart to reveal the love of God to the world. So that we too may be truly set apart to do the same thing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything that has to do with the Great Commission, preaching the gospel, making disciples, baptizing new converts, doing good works, and teaching sound doctrine is summed up in this crowning purpose in life. To this end, Jesus prayed for the communion of the saints, for unity within the entire body of the Christ, entire body of Christ, excuse me. He prayed that we be one. The faith preached by the apostles is the same precious faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. As followers of Jesus, we are all in this together going back to the apostles whom he protected and kept safe, except for Judas, Iscariot, the one doomed to destruction, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. The unity Jesus prays for joins in each of us holiness with living uh, God's love. Jesus uh, wants us to live out this unity together. Paul echoes this in his prayer to the church when he wrote, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our father. When our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones, Jesus prays that we live this unity and holiness and love so that the world may believe he was given a special mission by his father. The glory that Jesus gives us is the success of this mission that results in our being one, even as the father and son are one. Our being brought to this complete unity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, speaking the truth in love, lets the world know the father sent the son and that the father loved us even as the father loved the son. Now, at this point in our Lord's prayer for us, we can distinguish between how he prayed for his saints in the world who know the Father and Jesus Christ sent by the Father and what he wants for the world that does not know the Father. Uh, For the saints in the world, the Son gives eternal life to those the Father has given him out of the world. Jesus prays for his saints while we are still in the world. The world hates us, for we are not of the world. Jesus prays uh, we are not to be taken out of the world. His saints are not of the world, even as the Son is not of it. As the Father sent the Son into the world, the Son sends his saints into the world. 
The son sanctifies himself, sets himself apart for this special mission that we too may be truly sanctified, set apart for that mission. Now, uh, for the world, what Jesus says is that uh, he does not pray for the world. He wants the world to believe the Father sent the Son. He wants the world to know that the Father sent the Son and uh, loved the saints even as he loved the Son. Jesus says the world does not know the Father. What does he want for us, his saints? This is uh, the closing portion of his prayer. This is when we will take possession of the glory that he has already given us so that we may be one as the father and son are one when we are with Jesus where he is. So we may see his glory, the glory the father gave him because he loved the son before the creation of the world. He says, I want those you have given me to be where I am and to see my glory the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I'll take heart. Jesus has prayed for you. He wants you where he is. He wants you there to see his glory. He wants us to be with him. He will be uh, glory. He will give us then glorified bodies, all of us together as the body of Christ in the same way the father glorified him by raising him from the dead and receiving him after his ascension at the right hand of the majesty on, on high. We do not have this glory yet. It has been given to us as far as the purposes of God are concerned, but we will not receive it until the savior returns to take us into heaven. The full body of Christ. It will be manifested to the world when Christ returns to set up his kingdom on earth. At that time, the world will realize the vital unity between the father and the son and the son and his people and will believe too late that Jesus was the sent one from God. But it need not be too late. One can trust in him even today. For those of the world, this time to come will be a moment of terror. Jesus brought the Father glory on earth by completing the work he had given him to do. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. When this happens... When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, God will punish those who do not know him and did not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. On that day, we will be relieved of our troubles our personal and true relation with God that we now have with him through faith in Jesus Christ will then be free of all struggles. We will no longer stumble in the many ways we do now while still in the world. We will be completely free of the power of sin. We can be thankful that when Jesus speaks of this life to come, he addresses God as righteous father. 
all shall be right and just, fair and as it should be, based upon the will, the word, and the work of the Father who sets the very standard of righteousness. Take heart. Jesus has prayed for you. He will communicate to us forever the fully disclosed, holy and righteous majesty of God so that we might know him fully. He will continually disclose his wonders to us for all eternity so that we might both discover things about him we did not know before and have confirmed for us in a deeper, fuller way the things that we already knew about him. Jesus says he has made the Father known to us and that he will continue to make him known to us for all eternity in order that the love the Father has for the Son may be in us and that the Son himself may be in us. There is no higher or more glorious way to live than this abundant life in the very presence of God. Ah, take heart. Jesus has prayed for you. And anyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Amen.